Hey guys, it's Melissa here from MelissaOatman.com. Welcome to another episode of Awaken Your Inner Awesomeness. I am so delighted you're here with us today. Today we have a very special guest. We have with us today Miss Annette Marinaccio. She is a healthcare executive turned author. She had an experience in her life that changed her forever. And now I believe she's also a light worker. She has channeled a book for others called Your Soul Focus. You believe in the afterlife, don't you? After her experience, she's learned more about the afterlife and she is helping other people to learn more about it as well. And so I cannot wait to talk to her today and find out all about her experience and her book and what led her to channeling this amazing book. But before we get started today, we do have a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by the Bits of Gold podcast. Daniel Goldberg is the host and creator of the podcast Bits of Gold. William Wallace once said, every man dies, not every man really lives. Bits of Gold is a podcast dedicated to helping you truly live life with purpose. You will hear inspiring stories about how others live their lives with more purpose and intention and how you can too. If you are looking for inspiration, then check out Bits of Gold. It's available at www.bitsofgold.co. Again, it's available at www.bitsofgold.co. Come and check out Bits of Gold and fill your day with purpose. All right, guys, we are back, and I am so delighted to have Miss Annette with us today. Thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Melissa. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. I've always been fascinated about all things afterlife, and I know many of us probably question what happens to us after we die, after we're no longer in this world, and it's always been a fascinating subject, so I cannot wait to hear your perspective on that, but before you get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, I live in New York. I am a, a CPA, certified public accountant and a healthcare executive. Um, and I actually love my job. So uh, writing a book was a real departure <laughs> from that job for me, especially a, book, a spiritual book. But um, after my mother-in-law died, so while she was on the other side, uh, which was 2006, she was very deliberate and intent on proving to me that she was still here. And once I accepted that, I was absolutely smitten and fascinated and had to understand more about the afterlife. Before that, I would say I was very entrenched in my world and you know, I was always a kind person. It wasn't that I was uh, not a kind person, but I never really thought about the afterlife. It's not that I didn't believe in it. It's not that I was skeptical. I just never really thought about it. And um, once I realized, oh my goodness, we go on, I became so fascinated by it. So I did probably about, um, I'm gonna say four years of what I would call research. I mean, with all of my discretionary time, I read everything. I took uh, metaphysical classes. I listened to people um, everywhere, all walks of life. I read articles, books, just to really soak up everything I could learn about the afterlife. And once I was done with that, I would say about four years into it, I was like, I, I get it. I, I sort of get that we go on and this is totally amazing. Whereas four years ago, I would have thought, um, you know, sort of when you're dead, you're dead and you're sort of 
always alone. And now I understand we're never alone and our souls who have departed or, or spirit guides or um, guardian angels are always guiding us and always trying to help us. Um, so I sort of parked that and decided to just live a little bit differently. But as the universe would have it, um, they, it, I was I, um, continually put in front of people who like needed a little piece of what I had learned. And after another probably four or so years of that, I said, you know, I think I'm supposed to write this into a book, so, you know, because I feel like I've not only obtained a lot of knowledge, but um, one of my skill sets is being able, like even at work, to summarize very elusive topics and make them like relatable and understandable to anybody. And so um, that's what I did. And so I put the book out last year. And uh, yeah, that's how I came about writing the book. <laughs> I love that. And so back up just a little bit. So when you talk about your mother-in-law and how she was kind of proving to you that there was life on the other side, what do you mean by that? Like how, what kind of proof were you getting and how are you seeing that? Yes, you're, she's very much still with you and, and here, even though you know that she's passed. So um, it, it was like a lot of things in life. It wasn't um, uh, like all of a sudden, it was like what I call almost little breadcrumbs, you know, like, and all of a sudden you're putting two and two and two together. And so the first thing she did was she came through to my daughter. So my daughter was 13 at the time and uh, we had buried my mother-in-law on um, a Saturday in, October of 2006 and it was the following Wednesday and my daughter was 13 getting ready for school and breakfast time and I'm getting ready for work and my daughter very matter of fact and we had not ever really spoken about the afterlife or anything we were pretty distraught when my mother-in-law died um my daughter said oh by the way grandma Lucille that's my mother-in-law's name gave me a gift yesterday and I'm thinking okay so that's not possible so I said what gift did she give you and she said she gave me pom-poms and I'm like how did she give you pom-poms and she went on to explain to me that in art class the day before they were uh their project was to make 3d cards and she my daughter had decided to make um a card with 11 green and 11 red pom-poms. And so she went to the communal art closet and took the Tupperware of all the different um, sizes and colors of pom She took out 11 green and 11 red and recounted them because she's very meticulous, packed it back up and brought it back there. And she said, when she came back, there were her 11 green, her 11 red and a lavender and an ivory one which were the exact colors of the balloons we had let go at my mother-in-law's gravesite a couple of days prior. So she was convinced that my mother-in-law was saying, thank you for the balloons. So I said to her, well, how'd they get there? And she was like, I know. And you could see she was had played through all the possibilities in her head. And I, she said, nobody was around my table. It was only my desk. She said, they either must have appeared there or floated through the air. So I could see that she very practically went through a lot of possibilities about how they appeared and determined in the end that my mother-in-law had somehow made them materialize. So she said to me, you want to see them? And I was like, sure. <laughs> so she runs upstairs, comes downstairs and shows me 
two pom-poms. I mean, not even like slightly off color, not even like purple and white. They were lavender and ivory, the exact color of these balloons. And, um, and so I was like, this is what I said to her. All I can say is this, if grandma Lucille really gave you these, then when you die, you should be buried with these in your coffin because that would be amazing. Like I was just shocked and didn't know what to make of it. So after she went off to school, I think I started thinking that maybe she was really in some kind of deep grief that I couldn't understand. And this was some kind of coping mechanism for her. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was really skeptical that they had sort of just appeared there. So I started talking to everybody about the pom-pom story because I wanted to sort of make sense of it and see what I should be doing with it. And in particular, I was speaking to one of my very dear friends. I had been friends with her for 10 years and we had never spoken about the afterlife. It just hadn't come up. And so when I told her the pom-pom story, she waited till the end and she just very matter of fact said to me, well, Annette, you believe in the afterlife, don't you? Which is the subtitle of my book. Yeah. And that was the second thing that made me open my eyes because now I had, I would say that to someone now, but at that point, because now I understand there's an afterlife, but yeah. at that point I didn't. And so now I had a very credible friend who was like, of course your mother-in-law can make those pom-poms materialize. And I was like, really? Like you believe in the afterlife? And so now I had this, you know, it really made me think twice. Um, so she went on to tell me that she, when her father had died years ago, years before I met her, she actually went to a medium uh, on Long Island, where I live, Josephine Garangeli, and she would get um, specific pieces of information from her deceased father, like when to sell her house, and uh, she's looking to name her son this, does her father approve? So like really concrete, practical information from her deceased father. Mm -hmm. So she's telling me the story, and I was like, fascinated. All right, so that's now the second thing. I park that about a week later, and so the breadcrumbs. Um, I was out to dinner with my my husband, my son, and my recently widowed father-in-law, and we were on uh, in a restaurant on Main Street in my town. <clears throat> we were seated next to a window, and there was a big poster in the window. The poster was facing the street, but I could see see through it, and it said "Dinner and Show with Josephine Girangeli, the same medium that my girlfriend had just mentioned." And so I was like, "That's unbelievable! Like, what?" Uh, coincidence yeah. <laughs> so now I understand coincidences aren't always <laughs> really synchronicities and, right. but at any rate so now I went home that evening and I said to my girlfriend um I named her Donna in the book but her name is Maria Maria would you like to come it's in four months and she said absolutely I can't believe she's going to be in our village and da, 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 whatever you know she's never come to that restaurant before or after but at any rate, so we, um, I called up, I made reservations, Annette party of three. We got, we had another girlfriend who came also, and it was four months away. And so now that was a third thing, but between that four months, I was telling everybody the pom-pom story. And what I became very fascinated about was that so many people I would speak to felt very similarly to my friend Maria. They were like, well, of course there's an afterlife. 
it was very matter of fact to a lot of people. I just had never thought about it. And so I was like, you believe in it too? And then I would hear story after story. Oh yeah, when my mother died, this happened. And you know, uh, my, my nephew died and the lights were flickering. And um, you know, at my um, grandfather's funeral, there was a butterfly that sat on my grandmother's head for the entire thing. You know, like it was like one incredulous story after another. So now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, the first thing started with my daughter. The second thing with my girlfriend, Maria, you believe in the afterlife, don't you? The third thing is this Josephine's, uh, the synchronicity of her name. And now a lot of people I'm speaking to have stories. And so, you know, again, until it happens to you, it's hard to believe them. But here I have a lot of credible people, a lot of friends giving me stories. We, we went that four months later, we go to the um, Josephine Girangeli, um medium dinner thing. And so we have dinner and um, she starts right out and I'm sort of viewing it like a magic show at this point. She starts right out in the um, other side of the room and there's people crying and she's bringing through a police officer or a firefighter and the family's all relating to the story. And I'm thinking, oh, how nice. They, they're probably planted there. They probably know her or whatever. Um, but the, the very next thing is she marches over to our table. And this, so now my mother was diligent. So yeah. she marches over to our table and she come, she says, okay, I have a woman here who says her name is Lucille. Lucille was my mother-in-law's name. And so, and she's holding her stomach. My mother-in-law had died of pancreatic cancer. She's holding her stomach like she died of a stomach kind of cancer, or maybe not stomach cancer, but something like that. And I would not take the microphone. I was just like, my mind was racing. I was like, I made reservations. I didn't pay yet. I didn't give them my credit card. They don't even know my last name. How could she, did my girlfriend call her? Like, what, what is going on here? I didn't take the microphone. Um, my girlfriend's glaring at me across the table and she's like, that's your mother-in-law. And I'm like, I'm not taking that microphone. So finally she's like, maybe it's not Lucille then, maybe it's Lou, something with an L, like she keeps it up and up. And I, I found that in the years I was researching, I found it fascinating that for when people think that mediums are um, fake or phony, and some of them I'm sure are, but when you find a medium that keeps going, like in front of 150 people, she keeps up and I'm not picking up the microphone. It's like, why would she want to make a fool of herself if she, right. <laughs> like, if she's like in, in her yeah. mind, she's obviously wrong. Right. Because I'm not picking now. I know she's not wrong now, but in her mind, nobody's taking this bait and she keeps it up and up and up. And she's like, you sure there's nobody here? She's got dark hair and she's got an L, you know, like the whole thing. Nobody picks up the, the microphone. Then the woman behind me says, my name's Elizabeth, it has an L in it. So she gives Elizabeth the microphone and she says, um, here's another synchronicity because you had mentioned about Italy. She said, um, I see Elizabeth, you're going to Italy soon. I had just booked a trip to Italy. So it was my mother-in-law, you know, and, um, Elizabeth is like, well, I just came back from Florida, you know, because <laughs> it really wasn't. So then um, she sort of shuts that down and goes and reads somebody else. But now this is the part where, you know, I couldn't deny it because my mother-in-law was very persistent. She wouldn't give up. So after she reads somebody else, like 15, 20 minutes later, she comes right back and she says, this woman is here again. And um, if it's not Lucille, something with an L. So my mother-in-law was persistent. So I 
then raised my hand. I took the microphone. And then my then she said the line that changed me 100 percent, the line that opened my eyes 100 percent. Um, she said, oh, yes, this is for you. She's asking how Rita is. Rita's still here, isn't she? How is she doing? Now, my mother and mother-in-law both were diagnosed with cancer within a week of each other in 2005. My mother breast, my mother-in-law pancreatic. They spent the next year fighting for their lives. My mother made it through. She lived another 15 years. She just died April of 2022. She just died. My mother-in-law succumbed after a year. But the two of them in that time period with surgeries, chemo, radiation, we, my family got such a crash course in cancer. And every time we would visit one or the other of them, they would always ask how the other one's doing. Lucille would say, how's Rita doing? Rita would say, how's Lucille doing? How's Rita? So when this <laughs> Josephine was sitting here and she said to me, how's Rita doing? Now she pegged Lucille and Rita, two names, specific names, my mother and mother-in-law. And she said- and Not common names. Those are not common names. Not common right. names. And she <laughs> said, she, she's still here, isn't she? How is she doing? I think my mother-in-law knew specifically that she had to say that one line and I would, it would, it would hit me to my core because it would be the line she would have asked, how is Rita doing? Cause it was every time we would, even, even when my mother-in-law was literally on her last legs, she would say, how's Rita doing? It's like, she just went through her surgery, she, you know, whatever. So that line is the line that I attribute to opening my eyes just hundred percent. And so, she proceeded to read me and with a lot of other validating points. But at the end of that evening, which was the end of April of 2007, I was like, I'm taking the reins from my mother-in-law. There is something going on here and I have to understand this. I mean, I have a practical CPA brain. This is not processing, it doesn't compute. <laughs> you know? So I have to understand this. And, and then that's what I did. I, I proceeded to um, read so much. There's so much out there in metaphysical, uh, but read so much. I attended classes. I went to so many medium events. I didn't even go to, for private readings because I wasn't, I wasn't in like a deep grief, you know, where I was, I was looking for somebody to say something to me, like my mother-in-law. We were, of course, I loved her and we were so um, distraught that she died, but I wasn't in a, a grief, like a traumatic kind of grief situation. So I just needed to learn. So I would go to so many group events and study what was happening. Who, you know, this, let me see what this one person says. Let me see, oh, my girlfriend's getting ready. She's getting ready. You know, I just so many events. And, um, and like I said, I just, I, I, you know, I, I think my, my obsession was, I don't understand if we go on, what are we doing here? That's what I needed to understand. I needed to get my head around this. That's what I needed to understand. How does this relate? Like, I don't understand the purpose of this. If, if we're gonna continue on, what is going on here? And that's what I needed to understand. And so um, once I understood that, I was pretty, pretty satisfied. And, um, but that, that's how she led me. It was those series of breadcrumbs that led me to open my eyes and then, uh, you know, uh, between that and also in, in the four years that um, ensued after that, she enlisted, I'll say, 
other deceased relatives of mine, like my grandmother, my uncle, spirit guides, which at the beginning of this, I did not want to have to believe in spirit guides. It seemed a little bit like, woo. <laughs> you know, what happened during that time is I got dream downloads from my spirit guides. And I was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. So um, yeah, so that's, that's how it sort of played out or started for me. I got chills as you were uh, talking about what you you know went through when you visited the medium and um there's a lot of synchronicities honestly between the two of us as well when you mentioned the italy well my mom passed away from pancreatic cancer just in january so oh my uh, goodness i'm sorry to hear that and i'm sorry about your mom too yeah i know so uh like you we were like just completely absorbed with everything having to do with cancer and how do you fight it and all of this and that's been our journey too So I would love to pick your brain about what you found out. Why are we here? And, you know, I know that's a big question and probably a lot to it, but what are some of maybe the most important points that you discovered as you were researching and trying to figure out why we're here and what happens when we're no longer here? Yeah, so the simple answer is we're here to love and to grow. And that's actually why we're on the other side also. But that, that's the simple answer. As you mentioned, is it's very complicated, but um, that's the, the simple answer. The other thing is that this existence is a teeny sliver, sliver of our soul's existence. And we are intentionally born here as humans with what I, which I almost call like um, blinders on or like a dunce cap with blinders so that we think this is what it's all about. Because if we really knew how, I, I mean, I don't wanna say the word immaterial, but sort of immaterial this, earth, this earthly life is to our soul, we might not pay the same credence to our feelings and behaviors as we would if if we believed that this meant nothing. So so it's not that it means nothing, it means a lot. It's a great opportunity to love and grow, but it's not all there is. And so we're, we're born with these kind of blinders on so that we live our human life and fulfill our purpose to the best of our ability so that when we head back to the other side, we can say high five to our souls who are waiting for us to say, we did our purpose, we did what we had to do here. So it's, it's very important to the other souls on the other side and to our soul to complete our purpose. And we decide before we come here, we decide sort of three things. We decide our purpose here and it can be a grand purpose, but it also can be a teeny weeny purpose just to move the needle a little. It can be a a series of little purposes and it can even be a purpose that has nothing to do with us that only has to do with someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty wild to absorb that we may come here solely for somebody else, but we may. So we have a purpose. We we, um, also select how we're going to be raised or who, who, who our parents or who our family um, is going to be. So sort of how our lifestyle is going to be shaped. So our parents, I'll say. Um, and then the last thing we choose is sort of the, the how, when we're going back. 
Is it going to be a long drawn out illness? Is it going to be a quick accident? Are we going to live to the ripe old age of 90? Are we going to go at five years old? So we have a, a pact, almost soul pact, um, determining how we're heading back. So, so the reason we're all here is to love and grow, but inside that there is a purpose or many purposes for all of us. And I, I like to say to people that if we are living in kindness, really, then you're, you're always moving toward your purpose. So I'll give you an example of why a person might come here, like what it's about that is a little bit, um, which I mentioned in my, I have all this in my book, uh, but which is a little bit like changes it, your perspective. Um, so we're all part of soul groups that have between 100, 200 souls. And our purpose is to raise our level of light, raise our vibrational energy, our level of light. And we can't really move up to another level unless all the souls are moving up at the same time. It's not like a couple of souls can move. So you have this band and you're sort of this homogeneous evolution band and you're traveling with that band. Now, if in that band of 200 souls, there's maybe one or two or 10 souls that are sort of on the lower end of evolution, light mm -hmm. evolution. And then you have ones that are up here and they, they wanna to get to the next level, but they can't because this is sort of being a little bit dragged down. In that situation, this person here, the higher one within the band, may make a contract with one or two of the ones that are a little bit lower in the band and say, I'll tell you what, we will head back to earth where feelings are far more intense than they are here. They're not as intense on the other side. They're not as deep and intense. They're more monotone, the feelings. We'll head back and I will be your son and I will die of leukemia at five years old and you will have to live your entire lives, adult lives with this burden. And the objective is for you to, to live through that and grow, to stretch your soul so that maybe you start a foundation uh, maybe you forgive yourself because you feel a, li a little bit responsible for it in some way. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm going to give you the gift of me dying prematurely so that you can stretch your soul so that when you come back, we can try and move up. So that is an example um, that anybody I think can process in their brain that would make anybody feel very differently. Because in earth here, when you see parents who've lost a child, what could get worse than that? It's horrible, yeah. it's horrible. Yet when you flip it, and many parents actually experience this, they understand that it was a gift because they have parlayed it into something magical. Um, they have connected with people they never would have connected with. So many people do go through something very tragic, anything very tragic, and see the, the growth that has occurred within their soul because of it. 
So that's an example of how we're born with blinders on intentionally because they don't want us to be distracted. Mm -hmm. They want us to complete our purpose here. They souls, our soul want us to complete our purpose here. And that would be an example of someone who came here just with the sole purpose of for somebody else. And, um, and I'm not saying all children that uh, died prematurely, it's that situation, it's not, but that's an example of what can happen that will really make you say, oh my goodness, I don't think I ever would have thought of that that way. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. that's, yeah, that's sort of that. That makes a lot of sense. And I always say that, you know, we're here to learn and grow. And it's sort of like when you're on the other side and you pick the scenarios that you want to play out in your life so that you learn and grow, we don't realize how painful or whatever that's going to be once we're here, because on the other side, everything like you don't have those particular emotions necessarily, or like you said, they're not as deep and you don't feel them as as deeply as you do when you're here. So I think a lot of people who go through grief, you know, we question like, why would I pick this? Why would I have wanted to do this? But that was a perfect explanation that you gave, because I truly do believe, even though I've had those thoughts too, like, why would I ever want to pick this for myself? But when you look at what did you learn? What did it teach you? the lessons are there. And I think there's always, you know, purpose in every pain. We just have to get to the root of what was the lesson? What did we learn and, and how did we grow from whatever it is? And you're right. You see so many people who turn tragedies into amazing things that help other people. That's so right. I, and I think that that is really what better way to raise their vibration than to, you know, allow something that is sad and tragic to turn into something beautiful for others that lift others up. That, that's exactly true. And I think, you know, um, you did it also with your, with it, with your book, because it, it, the, the, it, 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 in my example, you had two scenario, two people, right? You had this, this soul and this soul, but let's say the parents also came here, not just to raise their vibration, but to help someone else entirely different with what they went through. So now the, the, the son dies, the parents' soul stretch, it's, it's a horrendous thing, but they parlay it into something that helps one, two, 10 other people. Maybe they're here to help these other people. It may not end with just them growing. Yeah. So once you take something that's um, painful or tragedy or opens your eyes, I mean, I feel with my book, I, it wasn't a tragedy that I went through, but I felt this responsibility to share. Mm -hmm. And so when you go through anything and then, especially something painful, and then you feel that responsibility to share and you put yourself out there and it helps one or two or 10 other people, that's, you know, that's what it's about. I, after I put the book out, like three weeks after I wrote it, um, I had this woman from Oregon and I'm in New York. So it's the other end of the, you know, I would never have met her reach out to me. And she said, um, I just want to thank you for writing your book. My 23 year old son died two years ago and I've been struggling with it. And your book just, um, I think it, you had said too, it makes a lot of sense because I'm, I'm an accountant. So everything makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So she said, I just, it, I was able to read it and understand and it put a whole new perspective on 
um, my situation. And I was like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> like all I had to do was share, you know, share it. And I helped one person and, right. you know, I mean, it's helped many other people now too. That was when I first put it out, but it, you know, helping other people it's not just as simple as this person to this person right it's it's the cascade of all the other people that you help yeah it causes a ripple effect absolutely yeah I love that I absolutely love that so now tell us a little bit more about your book so you talk about your own experience and then you talk about also what um do you talk about what it's like um, in the afterlife? Like, has your mother-in-law relate those kinds of things to you? Yeah, a little bit. I'll, I'll show you my book. I don't know if it comes across on the screen this way, but it's called Your Soul Focus. You believe in the afterlife, don't you? And the reason I said your soul focus instead of like my soul focus is because I didn't want it to be about me. You know, I mean, it is about me and people who've read it said, oh, it seems like I'm sitting across a, a kitchen table and you're you know, speaking to me. Um, but I only put the examples in there that I needed to, to get to a point, mm -hmm. um, a point that impacts everybody. So for instance, that story with the, um, the, the child who dies and that, that's in the book because, um, but it has nothing to do with you know, my personal situation. Mm -hmm. So I put enough of, enough, um, of excerpts in there that have to do with me so that you can get to know me and understand why I thought what I thought. But I really wanted the points of my research to be the main part of the book because I almost envisioned people getting the book and highlighting pieces of it to say, oh, I never thought about that that way. I never thought about that that way. Yeah. So, um, so at any rate, yeah, they're, they're in there. But um, I didn't spend as much time in my book talking about what it's like on the other side because my, more, my, my purpose was more so um, how it relates to us. But having said that, there are certainly glimpses in there. And what I can say about what I've learned is that when you're on the other side, there are the, you're basically, you reside, I'll say, in your own homogeneous level of light so it's it's really um very nice there because you're not dealing with um souls that have not evolved to a similar level to you so if you think about it there's nobody there to fear because there's not that kind of lower energy mm -hmm. and there's nobody there to envy and admire because there's not really that super higher energy there up here and there down here. You're in with people of your own um, level of evolution. So you, you just feel very safe. You feel very safe and you feel very loved. And so you have these wonderful, wonderful, warm um, feelings and you can uh, pray and there's music and there's, there's work for people who work. Um, whether it's helping people come back, come back to the other side, people have jobs and um, they also are, they are energy, they are light. So they can be in many places at once. So people said, oh, I don't understand how they can, uh, you know, my mother died. How can she, she's got four kids. How could she be with all of us at the same time? Absolutely, she's light. So she can be with the four kids at the same time. So it, they're light energy. And it's not like they're somewhere far away, resting in peace. I can't disturb them. No, they're right here. <laughs> so <laughs> they're right at the end of your aura. So if you need anything, 
Um, and this is a big part of it too, but if you need anything, you've just got to ask for it. If they can give it to you, they will. And, and I'm not talking about, um, uh, you know, like just spiritual kinds of things. If you said, I really would like a red Mustang, they're going to try and get you that red Mustang. So, you know, they will help in any way they can, as long as it doesn't interfere with your soul's purpose. Gotcha. It's, okay. it's more important for them that when you head back, they're like, good, you did, you did what you had to do. But if getting you what you're begging for interferes with your sole purpose, your soul purpose, they're not going to do it. They're not going to give it to you. So if you're like, I just need a sign, or I just need you to help me through this grief. And I don't understand why you're doing this. And why are you prolonging? It's because if they see that your soul has to stretch, and they're not going to come in and save the day. And they're not going to give you the red Mustang. And they're, they're going to make sure your soul stretches. Because it's more important to them what happens on the... It's not about here. It's about the other side. It's about here too, but it's more so about the other side. And that's what's more important to them. So, and I like to give this example, which I also have, have in the book. Um, because, I th and again, I think it's just something that everybody can relate to. So uh, we've all seen... Um, a child meltdown. They have some horrible temper tantrum meltdown. Let's say they um, want a candy bar. They're three years old. They want a candy bar for breakfast and they're screaming and crying that they want this candy bar. And you as their uh, mother as, are looking at them and you just are not giving them a candy bar for breakfast. And you as, you, as their mother uh, have a different perspective than them. You realize that this candy bar means nothing. They can have a candy bar after lunch. They can have a thousand candy bars in their whole life. They're gonna grow up and they're going to fall in and out of love. They're gonna get a job and you know, matriculate into society. And they're going to uh, you know, maybe get married, maybe have kids, maybe get divorced. There's gonna be so many big things in their life that this candy bar means nothing. But yet you look at them and you can sort of empathize because they're horribly grief stricken and they're screaming on the floor and they can't believe they can't have the candy bar. And maybe it even means more than the candy bar to them. Maybe they just want to get their way. Who knows? They're screaming and crying. And that's how the other side looks at us. We're going through this horrible and their perspective is just bigger and more broad than ours. And they understand that as much as we're begging to put us out of our misery or give me that candy bar or just show me a sign, let me know you're there. Or I don't understand why I can't make this car payment. I don't understand why I can't have a red Mustang. They're looking at that and they're saying, I feel badly for you, but yeah. <laughs> it means nothing. It's right. the bar to the three-year-old. <laughs> so that's another like example that I, I, you know, I used in the, in the years that the universe would put me in the path of people. Um, I, you know, I had, what I had done is taken all the metaphysical knowledge that I could attain. I threw out the things that um, didn't make any sense to me. I incorporated the things that did make sense. And then I came with a, up with all these like stories and analogies so that when I explain them to people, when they're going through something, they would be like, oh, that makes sense. And I kept hearing that over and over again. Oh, that makes sense. And that's when I started thinking, Okay, so I think I can take this pretty elusive topic and make sense of it. Yeah, and, absolutely. You did a great job with that. That makes it so yeah. relatable. And yeah, and mom, if it's not me throwing a fit, I'd like to have a beach house. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, if
if you if it's something that doesn't interfere with your soul's purpose, just meditate on it and ask them. I learned that and that I put in my book also. Um, it started with the um, the very first session at that that medium show in April of 2007. That same session at the end of that event she had us uh, meditate. We closed our eyes and we meditated. She said, put something in your, um, in the palm of your loved one's hand, you know, in your mind's eye. So I envisioned my mother-in-law's palm and I put a, uh, a monarch, orange monarch butterfly and I folded it up and then we were, I'm just meditating on it. And she said, now your loved one is going to show you this within two weeks. And I was like, what? Like there's a science to this? And then I was thinking it's April and butterflies in New York in April just don't happen. So I was like, oh, I better hedge my bet. So I opened the palm in my mind's eye. I moved the butterfly over and I put a quarter there <laughs> and then I folded it up again and meditated. Well, um, the following Sunday, a week later, my husband's on the couch reading the Sunday paper. And there's a section inside the Sunday paper about um, Long Island's life during the summer. And the front page is color green with an orange monarch butterfly. And I was like, wow, I still have it. I still have it. I kept the paper because I was like, like, and that's the other thing too. They may show you what you ask for in a way that like I'm thinking of a butterfly flying around. This was a butterfly on a piece of paper, but mm -hmm. it may not be exactly what you think. Like I, maybe I would have passed a, a restaurant that said the monarch butterfly. You know, now I understand that. But then I was picturing a butterfly flying and my husband opened the thing and I was like, oh, that's so weird. Yeah. And then the following Wednesday, so now we're like 10 days later, uh, my parents were over my house and uh, with my two kids, my kids were you know, younger, they were like 13, 12 or 11 or something like that. Um, and my parents and I, it was, it was April, it was the end of April, beginning of May. So I decided to make hamburgers out in the barbecue in the backyard. And it was the first time we had gone out in the backyard to make, bar, you know, barbecue or anything. And um, I'm going, I go put the hamburgers on, I come up the steps and there's a quarter smack in the middle of the steps. And I'm thinking, I guess one of the landscapers dropped, I have no idea. But I pick it up and it's not only just a quarter, it's an Indiana quarter and my daughter's name is Diana. So it's, I see Diana, I'm like, oh. so I got my two things. And that's when I started thinking, wait a minute, I can call them in whenever I want. And so I started playing with that. And I started asking my mother-in-law for specific things at specific times. And it worked, <laughs> it worked. So that made me realize they're really right here and they're listening to us you know it's yeah. funny because I was um I was there was this woman who read my book and she was in the middle of the country like I don't remember where Ohio or Michigan or Colorado somewhere in the middle of the country and she um instant messaged me and it was about six or seven months ago and she said I just want to share this with you I'm so excited she said that when she was younger her brother had died and her 10 year old daughter has never met her brother but she would speak, but her, the mother would speak about her brother, right? Uncle Jack. So when she, after she read my book, which tells people, ask for things, you know, mm -hmm. she said to her daughter, let's ask for a specific sign from Uncle Jack and see if we get it in two weeks. And her daughter said to her, okay, let's ask for Finn the cat. And so her mother said, who's Finn the cat? And the daughter said, last year, when grandma was babysitting me in the backyard, 
a cat came up and had a tag and he let you pet him. And I saw his name was Finn. And so the mother said, all right, I don't think that that's, that was a year ago. And that's really specific. Let's make it more general. Let's just ask for an orange cat. And so, um, they meditated on it, the two, the mother and daughter. And the next day, she's putting the garbage out. The girl, the mother was putting the garbage out. She hears a meow behind the garbage pails. She runs in and gets her daughter. They run out. Her daughter goes, oh, my God, that's Finn the Cat. She goes to pet it, and it's got the little oh sign, <laughs> Finn the Cat. So, <laughs> so, she, so this woman shared with me that she was so excited that, you know, all these years later, she never would have thought that she could call in her brother so specifically and here now she's opening afterlife possibilities to her daughter her 10 year old daughter now that girl is going to grow up so differently than I did not yeah. even thinking about the afterlife so um again I just felt like all right you know the vibrational energy of the universe raises a little bit again you know yeah. so um yeah so I learned that that if they can if if giving you the candy bar doesn't interfere with your soul's purpose, they will do it. <laughs> they will get you Finn the Cat. They will get you the candy bar. If it interferes with your soul, soul's purpose, they're going to hold off. They're not going to do it. So um, if you need that experience to stretch your soul, or if you need that experience because somebody else is going to learn something from you because of your soul stretching, they're not going to do it. So if it interferes with your sole purpose or even the sole purpose of somebody else down the line, they're not going to, they're not going to help, but if they can, they will. So yeah, that's, that's sort of like what I learned. So they're pretty active on the other side, helping us, keeping an eye on us, planting seeds of um, invention in brilliant people's minds, um, planting ability for, you know, musical ability. You see those three-year-olds that play, pianos like unbelievable so they they're busy helping to the best of their ability us elevate here but also to complete our purpose as well as for themselves loving and growing on the other side lots of meditation lots of music lots of art the arts are big um is science invention all that kind of stuff is um, big, but you also, you often hear like a, a firefighter who's so loving and giving on this side here, they may, when they go to the other side, they may be in charge of helping people who die in fires cross over a transition. So there may be a car, you don't change your personality over there. Your personality is pretty, you know? So if, you, if you've got kind of that helpful, caring kind of person, um, then you're going to find a, a role over there that allows you to, to you know, be helpful and care. So yeah, that's sort of like what I, <laughs> what I again, it sort of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. I can't wait to uh, get your book because it just sounds so fascinating. And so tell us again, if anyone wants to buy your book, which is called Your Soul Purpose, or excuse me, Your Soul Focus, you believe in the afterlife, don't you? Which I love the story of how you got that title. But if anyone wants to buy the book or if they just want to like follow you, what's the best way for them to do that? So um, I have the book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And um, I also have a website in netmarinaccio.com. So if anybody goes on there, they can buy it. It's electronic, the book. It's also audio and it's um, paperback. 
And so, um, so any one of those ways you can find me. I also have, I'm on Instagram. So Annette Marinaccio on Instagram also. And I have on Facebook, a Your Soul Focus page where I, I, you know, I post things on an ongoing basis, inspirational things on an ongoing basis. I'll also mention that um, one of the women who read my book, um, her son had died in 2019. And so she's ever, ever since he has died very, interested in the afterlife and he comes through to her on an ongoing basis so she um, gathered together 35 people not all authors from all over the world France you know India um, she's from Canada and so um, she had reached out to me and asked me to donate a chapter to this anthology it's called gathering at the doorway and so everybody wrote one chapter. I wrote a new chapter, not one from my, not one from your soul focus. I wrote a new chapter, um, and everybody contributed a chapter to this book, and we published it. This she published it this year. All the proceeds go to mental health or afterlife non for profits, and um, it's doing really well. Also, so um, yeah. So those are my ways to help the energy of the universe <laughs> as, as best as an accountant can. <laughs> Love that. Well, we're going to have the links in the show notes too. So if anyone is interested in buying your book or going to your website and just finding your social media, it's going to be all there in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on here today. I loved this conversation. It was so awesome. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on here and just share with us all of your knowledge. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, Melissa. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank all of you for being here with us today. As always, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Please leave a positive review from wherever you're listening. And the greatest compliment you can pay me is to share this podcast with others. If you want to work with me or follow me, you can go to my website, melissaoatman.com. There you'll see all my links. You can join us on Patreon. Only on Patreon can you see the interview. So you can actually see the cover of the book from today. And you can also see Annette's beautiful face. I'd love to have you over there on Patreon. Again, I want to thank you guys. I am sending you so much love and light. I hope you have a beautiful day from wherever you're listening. And I will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.